Welcome to the Experience Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Kyle Brownlee. It's our prayer that this message is not only an encouragement, but a blessing to your life. I want to welcome everybody to, to church today. It's good to be in God's house together. And I want to welcome all those joining us online along with all the men and women in our correctional ministry. Man, we just love you guys. We're honored to have you a part of our church home and family. And so come on, Defiance. Help me welcome our church family today. Come on, let them know. That was kind of good, guys, kind of good. And today we are in week number two of our series called Brick. By brick, and, and lastly, last week we talked about how God has called us to build his kingdom and to build his church, brick by brick. And how many of us know that church isn't a building? Yeah. Amen. A church is people, right? And our vision here at Experience Church is to reach those far from God and together live a God-first life. That when God's first in every area of our lives, man, everything else just seems to fall into place. And so God's called us as his church to reach people. Now, with that in mind, I do want to remind us that in three weeks from today, during the entire month of November, we are doing our annual At The Movies series. Anybody excited about this series? Maybe a couple of you. We have a lot of fun doing it. This is, this is uh, where we take popular movie clips and we pull out biblical principles from them and we present the truth of the gospel in a unique and powerful way. And we have a lot of fun doing it. There's gonna be characters in the, in the lobby. We'll be eating popcorn and, and I mean, all kinds of stuff. We, we go big, but I do need you to understand why we do it. Like the main reason we do it, not the only reason we do it, but the main reason we do it is to invite people that maybe don't go to church, don't have a relationship with God, aren't part of a community of believers. We invite them into this place and that they would have an encounter with the presence of God and their lives would be forever changed. I know it's an evangelistic series. We're reaching the lost. And so I know Jesus did this in the New Testament. He taught parables. Well, what was a parable? A parable was a story that Jesus taught that used everyday life situations so that allowed people listening to be able to understand and relate to what was going on. And then woven into these stories was a spiritual truth or principle that Jesus was trying to teach everyone. And so we take modern day parables, movies, and we pull out biblical principles from them. And it's a blast and God blows us away every single week from all that he does in this series. But God's called us to reach people. And so, so since I'm your pastor, let me just give it, can I just ask three things for us to do as this, as this series comes up? The first thing I'm gonna ask us to do is pray. That we would pray that people who don't know God Maybe, maybe haven't set foot in a church, maybe want nothing to do with church, would be wooed into this place. And as they would walk into this place, they'd have an encounter with God's presence and never be the same. Can we pray for souls? Can we be a church that prays that God would, 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 would set the captive free and people could encounter life in this place? And so that we'd pray for souls. The second thing I'm asking us to do is to invite people. In fact, as you leave today, uh, you'll get an invite card from our ushers and, 
And there's the power of an imitation. The, the number one way someone comes to church in the United States is, I know it's going to blow you away, it's because someone asked them to, right? It's because a friend or a coworker just asked them to come. The power of an invitation. So when you leave, you're going to get some invite cards. And I would encourage you, the first thing you should do is pray over those cards. God, who, who, how do you want to use this? Whose hand can I put these in, God, that, that you're stirring, that you're speaking to? And, and that we would go into our, our schools and invite other students. We'd invite our coworkers. We'd invite our neighbors and our friends. In fact, one of, the, of my favorite things to do is to go through a drive-thru. I only do this like once or twice because I can't afford it. But I go through the drive-thru and then I'll pay for the car behind me their meal, and then I'll have the, the drive through person, I'll give them the invite card, hey, can you give this to the car behind me? And they love doing it because they have actually no skin in the game whatsoever, and so they love jumping in on it with me. And I will say, you might wanna check to see how much the order is, because I've gotten, I've gotten God a couple of times, I'm like, what did they order? Like, how many people are in that little Honda Accord back there? There's like 27 people in there. Is that a clown car? What's going on? So you got to check that, but that's one of my favorite ways. Or when you go out to eat and uh, you leave a good tip, come on somebody, not a bad tip, and you can leave the invite card to the waiter or the waitress, maybe even strike up a conversation and invite them personally, but, but that we would invite people to come and be here and encounter what God's going to do. And then the third thing I'm going to ask us is just to be here, that we would be here all four weeks and we would be ready to love the people coming in. We'd be ready to build a relationship with them and be the hands and feet of Jesus and just be in the house to see God do what only he can do. Amen? All right, well, let's jump into the message today. I, I do want us to know uh, the message is a little bit on the teachy side today. Like we're going back to Sunday school today. And so if you are a note taker, this is your day. This one's for you. And in fact, it's a, it's a great day to utilize the Experience Church app. Our, our, our sermon notes are on the app every single uh, week. You can pull up the app and you can fill in the blank. You can take notes, things God speaks to you during the service. And then you can even email or text those notes to yourself or maybe to someone you think might need to hear the message. It's a great tool or resource that's available to you, but, but my hope is with it being a little bit on the teaching side today is that, that I wanna equip us. I want, I want us to learn, I want, my hope is that we would understand the truth of God's way and maybe ways that we've never understood it before. And so um, we didn't get a chance to be here with us last week. We are studying the story and the book of Nehemiah where we see this incredible example of putting faith in action. In fact, when we're first introduced to Nehemiah, he's living in Persia, uh, which would be modern day Iraq, and he is a cupbearer to the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah was a Jew, but even though he grew up in Persia, his heart was still in his people's home of Jerusalem. And he catches wind that things are not going good back home, back in Jerusalem. The, 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 the city wall that, that, that goes around the city has been destroyed. The city gates have been burned. And Nehemiah feels called by God to leave the comfort of the palace, to leave his high-paid corporate uh, position, to leave all of that and to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. Like Nehemiah has this heart like, man, somebody's got to do something. It might as well be me. Now, now, remember, Nehemiah wasn't from 
Jerusalem. It would have been generations since his ancestors had even been there. And so Nehemiah would have never seen the city of Jerusalem. He would have never been there before. And so it gives us this picture that his passion to go back and rebuild the wall, this passion that some would say would be a dumb idea. Nehemiah, why would you, you, you live in a gated community like you have worked so hard to climb the corporate ladder. You have this amazing position. You have access to the king. You have a great reputation. You have all that. Why would you leave the gated community to go live in a place that's in ruins, right? You leave in Beverly Hills to go live in the hood. What, what are you doing, Nehemiah, right? This is a, this is a dumb idea, but we, we see that that since he'd never been there before, he'd never even seen the city, that his passion to, to rebuild the wall, it, it wasn't man-made, it was God-given. And my prayer is, God, give us a passion like that. Maybe a passion that doesn't make sense to other people, a passion maybe doesn't make sense to our friends or our family members or people who don't have a relationship with God. But God, I don't want a, I don't want a man-made passion, I want a God-given one. I want to know what you're calling me to, to do. I'll, I'll never forget when... I, I, I was, God had changed my life and I was kind of considering, do I go to college or do I go into full-time ministry? And I'll never forget, because obviously I chose full-time ministry and, um, and I'll never forget my grandmother. Um, at the time, she was, she's like the godmother of the family. Like you don't go against the godmother, right? She is, what she says goes and she's, she's from Pittsburgh, PA and, and she ain't taking any, anything from anybody. And so I remember her going, Kyle, why aren't you going to college? You're wasting your life. And, uh, and I said, well, grandma, I just feel like God's, God's calling me to do it. God, God's calling me to help those who, who are in a similar situation that I was in. Like, and she, she goes, okay. But I was like, wow, that worked. Like, I didn't think that was going to work there. I just kind of went for it and it did, but, but it didn't make sense to her. So what made sense to her was to go to college and get an education and get a high paying job. And that, that was the, but God, I mean, no, I, I don't want a man-made passion. I want a God-given one. God, what are you calling me to do? That's nothing really with the, the message today. I just wanted to say that. But this was no, this was no small task that, that Nehemiah had signed up for. If he chooses to, to take this mission, kind of like Mission Impossible, right? This was no small thing that the, the wall was, the wall was big, it was 1.8 miles in length. It was 40 feet tall, almost nine feet thick, 8.7 feet thick to be exact. And so as we study this, this wall, he went back to rebuild. I really wanna focus in today on the gates. See the wall that was built around the city of Jerusalem, but in the wall, throughout the wall, there were several gates, which were extremely important especially back in biblical times. Like when you, whenever you would have like a fortified city like Jerusalem, it was important to have access points or gates, if you will. But they were so much more than just access points. They symbolized and they functioned as different things. Now, in Nehemiah chapter three, we discovered that there was actually 10 gates mentioned and each one had a name each one had a purpose and each gate translates to a modern parable for us as individuals and for us corporately as the body of Christ, the church. 
And what I want us to, to notice as we study these gates, one of the things I want us to, to notice is the intentionality of God. How many of us know God never does anything by accident? He's intentional, he's strategic. There is purpose in everything that he does. And so let's just jump into it as we have a lot of ground to cover because I just say well, I have 10 points today. I usually preach a three-point message. Today we're going 10. So we're gonna bring lunch in. Lunch is gonna be catered. It's gonna be, it's gonna be good. Hot rice for everybody. Let's go. Got a deal. The first gate, if you're taking notes, is number one is the sheep gate. The sheep gate, Nehemiah, we see this in Nehemiah chapter three, verse one, it says, Eliashib, which by the way, you're gonna have to give me some grace on the names today. Like I'm gonna do my best not to cuss, but if it happens, let's just move on like, like I didn't do it and I will deny it publicly, right? So just give me, I'm, I'm gonna do my best. But, but Eliashib, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building it as far as the Tower of 100, um, which they dedicated as well as far as the Tower of Hananel. And so the Sheep Gate was where they would bring the, in the sacrifices to the city. Like every worshiper that came to the city of Jerusalem had to offer a sacrifice at the temple and they were required to use this gate they were required to walk through the sheep gate. See, every section, every gate had a purpose. And the reason why the priests in Nehemiah rebuilt this gate first was because of its sacred significance. Because God's people, if we remember in the Old Testament, in order to atone for their sin, they had to offer a sacrifice to God. And so the priests in Nehemiah started with the sheep gate because the spiritual things of God are the most important things for us to build on. We cannot move on to the other nine gates or the other nine sections until we build our lives on the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, since Jesus died on the cross for our sin, obviously we no longer have to give sacrifices. Instead, we receive the sacrifice that our Savior made through our relationship with God. Before, before Jesus came, we offered sacrifices to make our way to God, but then God made his way to us, come on somebody, through his son Jesus, and so we don't give a sacrifice, we receive it. And as we're building this church, as we're building our lives, as we're building our families, we have to start with the sheep gate because everything we do is built on the sacrifice of Jesus. Let me say it like this. If our life, if this church is built on anything else other than Jesus, how many of us know we have a faulty foundation? If your life, if your marriage, if your family, if your finances, if this church is built on any other foundation other than Jesus, how many know we're building it on the sand, the Bible says, it's a faulty foundation. It might look good when you build it, but it won't stay in the test of time when the wind and the waves come. How many know? Then we get to see what's our foundation. The same is true, not just for this church, but for our lives. John chapter one, verse 29 says it like this. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb 
the sheep, the lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice who takes away the sin of the world. And so we start with the, the sheep gate. Now, by the way, as we talk about these next gates, they built these in a counterclockwise rotation. So if you're taking notes, the next gate they would have moved to is the number two, it's the fish gate. The fish gate, we see this in Nehemiah chapter three, verse three. It says, the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah, and they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. This gate would have been the gate that the fishermen would use. You see, in Jerusalem, the main source of food would have been fish, right? In fact, there, there's been 19 different types of fish that they have found living in the Sea of Galilee. The most common fish was tilapia, and scholars believe that they would have brought in around 250 tons of fish into the city every single year. The, the fish gate was important because like Jesus told some of the disciples, he said, come and follow me, sheep gate, and I will teach you not how to fish, but how to be fishers of men, right? How to be fishers of men. In other words, it doesn't, we might receive the sacrifice of Jesus, but it doesn't stay with us, right? The fishermen didn't go out and catch all this fish and then just keep it to themselves. No, they brought it back. So everyone in the city had something to eat. Everyone in the city could partake. And as the body of Christ, we don't just receive salvation and the free gift of life. We don't just receive forgiveness and let it stop with us. No, we also understand that the next step is to give what we've been given, to give to the world around us. Hey, how many know God's called us to be his witnesses? Acts chapter one, verse eight. Well, what does a witness do in a courtroom? If you've never been, let me just tell you. <laughs> I saw Judge Judy, I know what I'm doing. A witness, what's a witness do? They just tell their side of the story. This is what I saw. This, this, this is my, this, this, is, this is what I experienced, that I was lost, but now I'm found. Like I had shame and guilt and no direction. And then I encountered God and this is what he did for me. He forgave me and he healed me and he delivered me in my life. Let me just tell you what he did for me. It's a fish gate, right? That God's called us to be a church that goes beyond the walls to reach to catch, to bring, and to find people who don't know God. And where do we bring them to? We can bring them back to the city. We can bring them back to God's house. Are you with me? Yeah. All right, the third, third gate. We're gonna keep rolling because we've got a long way to go. Third, the third gate is the old gate. Come on, the old gate. Nehemiah chapter three, verse six says, the old city gate was repaired by Joyada, son of Pasia and a couple other guys, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, yeah, they're hardcore. They, they, they laid the beams, set up its doors and installed its bolts and bars, right? Now, I want to check this out. The old city gate was a place of honor. It was the oldest gate in the entire city of Jerusalem. And the purpose of this gate in Nehemiah's day was that the elders would come around and they would gather at this gate for meetings. So the people of wisdom, the people, the seasoned saints, 
the people of truth, the people of the law, they would come to this place and they would meet and they would talk. And how this relates to us today as we talk about building the church, God's called us to build, building the families, building the relationships, brick by brick is, let me say it like this, is that we cannot change the old ways to conform to new ideas. How many of us know truth is truth? Truth cannot be changed. That's why it's truth. So it doesn't matter if we like it or we don't like it. It doesn't matter if we agree with it or we don't agree with it. Truth is truth. And we have to build our lives. The old gate represents that we are building our lives. We're building our families. We're building God's church. We like to say that methods can change. The message never does. We can do sermon series. I'm sure you see some saints. 40 years ago, had never even heard of at the movie series. New method, same message, right? We're not leaving the ancient path. The the standard is the standard. God's word is the standard. If we're building our families, building our lives, building our relationships, building this church on anything other than the standard of God's word, the infallible, incorruptible word of God, right? Inspired by the Holy Spirit. If we're building it on anything else, it's a faulty foundation. Listen, we're not building it on our feelings. We're not building it on our opinions. We're not building it on our experiences. We're not building on what culture tells us. Come on. We're not building our lives on what culture says. I don't care what's popular. I care what's right. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I care what God's telling us to do. And we're gonna build this church on the truth of God's word. How many of God's word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path? It's the standard. It's the standard, guys. That's what we're doing in this house. My family's gonna be standing on the word of God. Not how I feel, not what I think. I used to tell guys back at Teen Challenge when I would, when I would counsel them. I would say, hey, I'm counseling you, not with my opinions, not with my good ideas, not with how I feel. I don't have any good ideas. I don't. I'm giving you God's word. Here's what God's word says. Let's chew on this. Let's grapple with this. How many of you know we don't change God's word to fit our lives? We change our lives to fit God's word. It is the standard. All right, I'm gonna get off my soapbox. We'll keep on moving. It's just so important, right? Especially in our culture today. It's important. All right, I'm moving. The fourth, the fourth gate is the valley gate. Nehemiah chapter three, verse 13 says, the valley gate was repaired by the people of Zenoa, led by Hanan, and they set up its doors and installed its bolts and bars. They also repaired, they went above and beyond, and repaired 1,500 feet of the wall all the way to the next gate, which was the Dung Gate. We'll get there in a minute. But the Valley Gate, now something you need to know. I wish I had a map, but for the sake of time, I, I wish I, we, could, we could probably spend three weeks on, on this one message, but we're moving. But there's actually three main valleys that, that surrounded the city of Jerusalem. There was the Kidron Valley, there was, there was the Tyropean Valley, and the Hymnon Valley. Went on the east side, west side, southern side of the city. And so the valley gate opened up to the Kidron Valley, which was a, a, a rugged ravine. Like the Kidron Valley was, was tough to, to get past. It was tough to walk through. And the valley gate represents that if we're gonna build our lives and if we're gonna build the church that God's called us to build, then we need to know that we're gonna go through some tough times. There's gonna be some difficulties. 
There's gonna be some issues. How many know, like when God begins to strip away some things and we have to start dealing with some things that are in us, it's not easy. The ref, how many know the refiner's fire is a great song, hard to live? Right? Like, 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 I don't know if you remember this song. I cut my teeth on it. It was burning me. Burning me. I can't sing, guys. <laughs> burning me. And it says, let the fire of the Holy One burn in me. That's all I got. That's as much. <clears throat> Stop it. So, okay, I got more. Give me, give me the keys. Give me the, no, I'm, I'm going for it. <laughs> Just stop while you're ahead, Pastor. That was a gracious clap. That actually, it wasn't good. <laughs> but I used to, I used to tell the, the, the guys when we would sing that song, Burning Me, I go, do we know what we're singing? Does anybody really, we're just sitting around, burning me, isn't this awesome? Like, we're asking God to, to burn in us, to like burn out the, pure, the, the, the impurities, right, to the top so we can scoop off the dross, like, we're actually asking to go through tough times. Like we want to go through hardships so that God can bring some things out of us. But how many know the Bible talks about valleys and mountaintops? God uses both to bring, he brings purpose out of both. How many know faith is built in the valley? Like you, you get to know a, a, a side of God in the valley that you just don't get to see on the mountaintop. Come on, somebody. Like when you're down and when a loved one has cancer or they're going through some hardship or you got that prodigal son or daughter and you, ha you find yourself in a situation that's out of your control, you can no longer fix it, you can no longer make it happen and you're just out of options except God, I need you. I mean, that's the valley. You get to experience God in a way you didn't get experience on the mountaintop. And what I've discovered that is that God uses the valleys in our lives to prepare us for those mountaintops. How many of us know you appreciate the mountaintop when you've been through a valley? You appreciate the view. Wow, sure looks good from up here. And I remember what it was like down there. It's the valley gate. We're gonna go through some tough things. David said it like this in Psalms 23, verse four. He says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, even when it gets hard, God, I realize I don't have to be afraid because I'm not alone, that you're close beside me. I wanna encourage you today that maybe you're walking through a difficult moment, you're going through some hardship, you find yourself in a valley, you're walking through something, but I want you to know you don't have to walk through it alone. That's the beauty of this city. That's the beauty of community. That's the beauty of us being together is that, hey, I, I, can, I can pull you up. Here's my faith. Let me encourage you. That's the beauty of the body of Christ and God's presence that we don't have to walk through those things alone. And we're gonna keep on moving here. The fifth gate is your favorite one, the dung gate. <laughs> and the name really describes it. This is the poop gate, guys. This is it. We've made it. Let's see it in scripture, Nehemiah chapter three, verse 14. The dung gate was repaired by Malchijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of, of this place. And he rebuilt it and put his doors with their bolts and bars in place. You know, what's interesting about this gate is that out of the 10 gates, there was always like a group of people together fixing it or, or rebuilding it but the dung gate only had one person, Malkijah. 
What's his name? I, I don't know if he drew like the short straw. I don't know, like people didn't like the guy. Like, hey, you, 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 you get the dung gate. Just nobody's coming with you. You just go, you gotta go. But his name uh, meant God is my king. Come on, somebody. And you really see a servant's heart when you're called to do something you really don't wanna do, right? It reminds me, I, I, I'm, I'm above nothing. I'm above nothing. I can still scrub a toilet. I can still pick up a broom. I can, how many know I have a servant's heart? It's something I've been trying to work with my son on. And I looked at him the other day and I go, man, you just need a servant's heart. How many know it's easy to point the finger at everybody else? Especially as a parent. Like, I am good. I know all your issues, right? And I can point them out. But after I, I was encouraging him to have a servant's heart and dropped him off for school that day, how many know good? Now go get them. Go get A's. <laughs> Hey, just a little peek into my world, just so you know. I drove away, I feel like God goes, well, if you want him to have a servant's heart, why don't you have one? I was like, not now, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't had my coffee yet. Let me go get that, and then then you can start saying that stuff to me. No, I'm I'm teasing. (laughs) We get this servant's heart picture from Malka Joe, but but, uh, in biblical biblical times, uh, waste or, or dung, if you will, included Animal manure, human excrement, garbage, trash, really waste of any kind. And the reason why this gate is, is so important is because there are always uh, something that needs to be removed from our lives. It's always something, right? In other words, there are, are toxic things. There are wasteful things that, that we need to remove from our lives. Maybe toxic relationships, toxic behaviors or toxic habits, toxic thoughts, that are polluting our lives and actually keeping us from building what God's called us to build. The next gate, number six, is the fountain gate. We see this in Nehemiah chapter three, verse 15. It says, the fountain gate was repaired by Shalon, son of Kol, Hosea, ruler of the district of Mizpah. And he rebuilt it. He roofed it and put his doors and bolts and bars all in place Phenomenal job he did. The found gate is important because Jerusalem on its own had no source of water. Like the city didn't get built next to a lake or river. There was no water that was nearby. Instead, they discovered these underground springs that filled different pools within the city. In fact, maybe you've, you've read some scriptures and, and you've, you've, you've heard about the pool of one of my favorites, the pool of Bethesda. Actually had been able to, to visit that in Jerusalem, the pool of Bethesda. And so they had different pools throughout the city, but they, they weren't big enough to, to get water to everyone. In fact, that the main water source for the entire city was the Gihon Spring, and it was actually located outside of the city. And so the purpose of the fountain gate was to give people access to this spring. This, this fountain gate gave the people access to fresh water. How this correlates to us and Jesus's sacrifice gives us access to new life through the Holy Spirit. Let me say it like this. We need to understand that we cannot do what God has called us to do without the full empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't matter what we believe about the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter our church background. Um, 
what matters is I need the gifts of the Holy Spirit in my life, in my family, in this church. How many know we need God's presence and we need God's power in our lives? We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what we've been through or or our church background. What matters is, God, I need all of you. And if you gave me this gift, I want it. And if it's available to me, I need it. I need your presence and I need your power in my life. The next gate, number seven, is the water gate. Nothing political here, not trying to send a message. It just is what it is. Nehemiah chapter eight, verses one through three says, and all the people gathered as as one man, you see the unity, into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the, the book of the law of Moses. This would be the Torah or the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible. Bring that the Lord had commanded Israel So Ezra, the priest, brought the law, these first five books before the assembly, and both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. They had a lot longer church service than we did. In the presence of the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people who were attentive, like you guys, to the book of the law God's word. Now, now before we get into the purpose of this, this gate, I do want to point out that two different times it says men, women, and all who, all who could understand. And as we talk about building the church God's called us to build brick by brick, that, that we don't, I want to point out that we don't have to wait till we're an adult to, to discover God's call in our lives. We, we, in, in other words, our elementary students, our, our, our middle school students, our high school students, our college, our young adults, like if we have made Jesus the Lord and Savior of our lives, how many of us know there's no junior Holy Spirit? That if we've, we've, we've gotten saved, our calling starts now, that we can live out our purpose today. We don't have to wait to get to a certain age to start putting bricks back in the wall. In fact, one of my things, one of my favorite things to see every single week is to see students use their gifts and their passions to build the church. I mean, I was just thinking today or this week of uh, our, our photography team. Did you know that our photography team, half of that team is in elementary school? Half of them. In fact, if you, if you follow us on social media, I just want you to know there's a good chance those pictures were taken by a 12-year-old. And then they go back in the office and they edit the pictures like of me, make me look better. (laughs) Which I didn't even know was possible. (laughs) I'm gonna go sing. I'm singing again. (laughs) All right, we're on a roll. Just joking. Just incredible. I don't even, I don't know how to do that. But what I love is they're using their gifts and their passions to build the church, to reach people. And they they know the vision. They know what they're trying to accomplish. They know it's to spread the gospel. They're building the church. And so I just thought I'd point that out. The Watergate, though, it symbolizes the church, right? It's where Ezra taught God's word and preached to the people. It's important for us to understand about the Watergate. The water gate was the only gate out of the 10 that didn't need any repairs. 
didn't need to fix anything. It was the only gate. The wall had been destroyed. The gates had been burned, but there was one gate that didn't need fixed, didn't need touched. Everything was fine. It was the water gate. Why? Because the water gate represents the church. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God does nothing by accident. There's purpose in everything. Do we think it's an accident this one gate just so happened didn't get destroyed? Come on. There's intentionality in everything. And this is, it's, it's pictures. This is why we serve. This is why we give. This is why we invest our time and our talent and our resource into building the local church. You know why? Because there's not a greater EROI on the planet. There's not a greater eternal return on investment that we can make. See, a lot of people give to different things, but in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5 tells us, it asks the question, will it survive? Will it make it to heaven? In other words, we can do a lot of generous things, but will it, is there an eternal purpose attached to it? That's why even when we gave to hurricane victims, we, we partnered with Convoy of Hope because they're not just giving resources to, to people in Florida uh, affected by the hurricane and the storm. They're giving resources in Jesus' name. They're praying for people. They're giving scriptures. They're giving resources in the name of Jesus. How many of us know that's gonna survive in, in heaven? That'll make it. And so we wanna invest. If we're gonna give our time and our energy and our resources to build something, why not make it something that's, that's gonna last? Isn't this a legacy to live a life that would outlive us, to build and invest into something that long after we're gone, still is making an impact on the earth? How many of us know it's a local church? It's the only thing that Jesus is building. It's the only thing that he's coming back for. It's the only thing, the only, the only three things that will stand the test of time is God, of course, you knew that already. His word and Jesus' bride, the church. Those are the three things that will stand the test of time. So as business people that we are and leaders, why wouldn't we invest in that? That's, I want my life to count, anybody else? At the end of my, at the end of my life, when everybody's standing around my casket, hopefully there's a lot of people there. I say that because hopefully I made an impact in people's lives. And not so much the, the quantity of people, but the quality of people. Meaning, I don't, I don't need 5,000 people to be at my funeral, but what if I just had 500 or 50 that I really made an impact in their life? Their life was different because of the way I lived, right? We're living, all right, I'll keep going. I could, we got time. Worship team, come on, killing me, taking all that. Number eight, horse gate. Nehemiah chapter three, verse 28. Above the <laughs> gate. Come on, you wanted me to do that, didn't you? You all thought it. The, the priest, just bringing the word of God to life today. Come on. The priest made repairs each in front of his own house. And so the horse gate represents warfare because this gate was used for the purpose of going to and from battle. And what's interesting is that the horse gate was adjacent to the temple. The reason is because if we're gonna make the things of God a priority, then we're signing up for a spiritual battle. Whether we know it or not, church, 
We are engaging in spiritual warfare. I just want to bring this out to us so that we, we recognize when we go through difficult things, we're not shocked and surprised. Wait a minute, I went to church today. Why am I having problems? Wait a minute, I prayed. I read my, the word today. No, no, the enemy of our soul would love to come against that and keep us from building what God's called us to build. Amen? Amen. But we don't war against flesh and blood, right? But against principalities and rulers of this dark age. And so what do we do? What's our response to this warfare? I mean, we, we put on the armor. If we're going to go to war, then put on the armor. There's the helmet of salvation, right? There's the breastplate of righteousness. There's the belt of truth. There's the peace, the shoes of peace. There's the sword of the spirit. There's the, the, the shield of faith. And we're going to be ready for the battle that we're walking into. And just a reminder, people aren't our enemy. People are the point. That's why we do what we do. Now, the enemy might use people, but people are not the enemy. People are the point. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 says, fight the good fight for the true faith. A lot of battles people are fighting. You, you, ever, you ever done this in, in your marriage? I haven't, but maybe you have. All of a sudden, you find yourself fighting against each other instead of fighting for each other. Let me, let me fight the good fight for the true faith. Let me, let me fight the right battles. Let me fight for what really matters, right? Relationships. God's kingdom, God's house. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you. Moving right on to the ninth gate. This would be the east gate. Now the Bible records several references to the east, including the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden, God sent his cherubim to guard the east entrance so they would not be able to return. Then when Moses and, and the Israelites traveled through the wilderness and, and they had a portable church called the tabernacle that God called them when he set up the portable church in the wilderness, God commanded him to, to every time he set it up, to face the entrance. What direction? What, what do you think? East. Yeah, nice. Well played. Then when, then when Solomon finally built the temple in Jerusalem, he was instructed to make sure that the entrance of the temple, this permanent structure, faced what? Which way? East, two for two, you guys. When Jesus was a little boy, wise men, magi, came from the to worship him, right? And the Bible tells us that, that Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, he will come to the Mount of Olives, which is on the side of the city. And the Bible tells us that Jesus will enter through the gate, right? Which is interesting if you've got a chance to be there. I've been to the Mount of Olives. I've looked across the city. And what's interesting is that the East Gate actually opens up to the Temple Mount, which is a very significant holy place. And Muslims have actually boarded up the East Gate. No one uses the, they're not allowed, no one's allowed to use the East Gate. They have control of the, of the Temple Mount. And so they boarded it up. Uh, because of this, of the, the Bible saying that, that when Christ returns, he's going to come through the East Gate, right? And then something else that they have done is they have placed tombs outside the, the, the East Gate. And the reason is because uh, they don't think a, a Jewish holy man would defile himself by walking through a Muslim graveyard. But how many of us know Jesus isn't an ordinary man? He's the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords and he will not be bound by man-made theology or restrictions. 
But the East Gate reminds us of the second coming of Christ and it reminds us to live with an eternal perspective. To remember this isn't our home, church. We're just pilgrims passing through. To li- and it reminds us not to live for what is temporary, but to live for what is eternal. We're not living for now, we're living for later. All right, we don't set our eyes on, on what's in front of us. We set our eyes on things above where Christ is seated. We're living with an eternal perspective. And then finally today, number 10, we made it. <laughs> if someone's excited about that, it's awesome. Whew, didn't think we were gonna get there, pastor. That really took a long time. Number 10, the inspection gate. Now the purpose of this gate is really powerful was the gathering of troops, right? The the king's army would assemble at this gate and they would be inspected by the king. The inspection gate reminds us that we're all gonna stand before God and give an account. We're all gonna stand before God on judgment day. We're not gonna stand together in a group. We're not gonna stand with our loved ones. We're not gonna stand with our spouse or family, or our friends, we will stand by ourselves and give an account before God, and God will inspect our lives. Now, there are two judgment seats, or we could say two questions that we'll, we will be asked. A lot of, a lot of Christians don't, don't understand that there's actually two judgments, two questions that we're going to be asked. The first question or inspection that we're going to be asked, if you will, which by the way, you don't even get to the second question if we don't answer the first question, right? That's important. But the first question is, did we make Jesus the Lord and Savior of our lives? The first question is, what did you do with Jesus? Did, did you give your life to him? Did you, live, did you come in a covenant relationship with him? Did you honor him with your life? And for the theologians in the room, the, the Bible refers to this as the great white throne judgment. And so what did we do with Jesus? Did we give our hearts and our lives to him? And if we, we answer that question, right, then we move on to the second question, which, by the way, is only for Christians. No one else gets to, to, to answer this question or is inspected this way. But the second question is, is simply this. What did we do with what God entrusted to us? What did we do with what God entrusted to us? What did we do with the passions? What did we do with the gifts? What did we do with the resources that God entrusted to our care? Did, Did we use those things to build the wall? Did we use those things to build God's kingdom or did we use those things to build our own kingdom? The Bible refers to this question uh, as the judgment seat of Christ. Now, when we hear judgment there, sometimes we do think like we're on trial and all that. That, That's not the word there. In fact, the judgment is kind of not the best English word. Instead of thinking like a courtroom or, or something like that, we're on trial, Think of like the Olympic Games or something like we made the team. We're in the arena, right? We got the jumpsuit on that Ralph Lauren made, right? We're on the team. We made, we did, we did all the hard work to make the team. We are here. We're, go, we're taking the walk in the stadium, right? With the torch and all that. We're, we're waving at the crowd. Here we are. We made it. We did it, right? And then God's gonna, and then, and then the question is, how did you run, run your race? Not how did you run the person sitting next to you's race? How did you run your race? 
because God gave you unique gifts and passions and resources. And God's not gonna say, hey, did you run your race like your friend over here? How did, did you run your race like your spouse? He's not gonna, he's gonna say, how did you run your race? Did you PR it? Was it a personal best? How did you run your race? So those are the two questions that will be asked and this inspection gate reminds us of that. But the reality is God has given each and every one of us a part to play. We, I mean, we can't do everything, but we can do something. Nehemiah sees that the wall has been destroyed. The gates have been burned and he has this heart. Somebody's got to do something. It might as well be me. And so I want to close with this question. And that is simply this. What gate do you need to start building today, brick by brick. What gate do we need to start building? One of the things I love when, when, I, when I preach, I try to do is just like, God, what's my, what do you call me to do today? I mean, I don't want to just be a hearer of your word. I want to be a doer. Like, what's my next step? Do I need to start building the sheep gate? Because before I can give anything away, I got to first receive it for myself. Maybe I got to, maybe I know about God, but I don't have a relationship with him. Maybe it's the fish gate. Maybe I've never shared my faith. Hey, it's a great time to start. We can get some invite cards, start inviting people to, to church, share what God's done in our lives. It's the fish gate. Maybe it's the old gate. Maybe I've built my life on the truth of God's word. The valley gate. Maybe I'm going through some hard times and I've got to realize I'm not going through them alone. What, what, what gate is God calling us to build? Amen? All right. You, would you pray with me? Father, we love you. God, we thank you for the truth of your word and how rich your word is. There's so much. The reality is we, we could spend days in, in this passage of scripture alone, God, but well, we thank you for the intentionality and how you don't, you don't do anything by accident. There's purpose in everything that you do, God. We thank you, God. And even as we we look at the different gates, God. We just ask, what gate are you calling us to build? What's our next step, God? Maybe it's the dung gate. There's some toxic things. There's some things in our lives that just don't belong. There's some habits. There's some relationships. There's some behavior. There's some thoughts. Are you calling, calling us to purify ourselves? Maybe, maybe, maybe we have a earthly perspective and you're calling us to, to have an eternal one. Maybe it's the east gate. Whatever it is, God, we just, our prayer is to speak, Lord, we're listening. We want to hear your voice. And today as we're praying together with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe, maybe the gate you need to build is the sheep gate, the very first one. We try to build anything else out of order. It's going to be, have a faulty foundation. Maybe you would say, man, I know about God. I've come to church, but I'm, I don't have a relationship with him. God's not first in my life. I want to give you an opportunity to say, here's some heart, God, what you've always wanted. Not a religious act. Not going to a church building. You want my heart. I want to surrender to you today. If that's you, wherever you're at, maybe you're watching online today. You're joining us in person, wherever you are, would you just lift your hand to heaven and say, here I am, God. I want to know you. Here's my heart. I receive the sacrifice of Jesus. Here's my life. I 
right where you're at, would you just pray this for me and say, God, thank you for your love that never fails. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sin on the cross. Here's my heart. God, forgive me, restore me, redeem me, my life, my life, and all of me is yours. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give God some praise for all he did today. So good.
Thanks for joining us. We here at Experience Church love you and are praying for you. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our hope.